five. I told you when you started, I don't know how long this is going to last. Uh, we, this may take us to Christmas. I don't know. There's just so many awesome stories uh, in the book of Judges. And so uh, uh, we'll move on when I feel like God's uh, released me from this book and this series. But what we've been seeing is we've been going through this. If you're new with us today, by the way, welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, it's always an honor to have guests with us today. And uh, we'd love to know who you are. I may have asked you your name when you came in. I may or may not have even uh, made contact with you. But if you would, there's some cards that are scattered around the seat backs. If you just grab one of those, fill it out, you can leave it laying in your seat. And uh, we won't bug you at all. Or you can take it to the Welcome Center and exchange that. They give you a gift back there for that card if you'll take it to the Welcome Center. But uh, we just want to know that you're here, know who you are. And, uh, and know your name, and so we'd appreciate you doing that. But what we've been seeing in this series, if you haven't been able to be with us, is it's been a, a series of events, basically the history of the nation of Israel and their spiritual journey with God, and it's a train wreck. I mean, it's, you know, they, they are doing awesome. They're, they're like some of you. I, I know some of you personally, and, and, and the nation of Israel is like a lot of you. They'll be doing really awesome, and their Christian life is just going swell. And then, you know, before you know it, hadn't seen them in church in a few weeks. And then it just, whoo, it just goes off from there, you know. And so we've seen the nation of Israel, and you know, high and low and hot and cold and you know, really where they need to be in relationship with God and then just being really dumb, you know. And so uh, some of you can relate to that. And so we, we, the reason we're doing this series out of Judges is because I believe we can see ourselves, all right, through the nation of Israel and how they act and, you know, their relationship with God. We can see a lot of correlation between them and us if we're honest with ourselves, all right? And so... You know, we, we'd see them, you know, they'd, they'd drift away and they'd get in a big old mess. And what God would do is he would send someone to help them. He would send them a leader or, uh, you know, a, a, a helper or a judge, if you will. That's the name of the book of Judges. That would help guide them and, you know, help them, you know, win a victory or get a victory and get them back on the right path. And so God would send them someone to lead them to help them do that. And these leaders that God chooses, we're learning, you know, there's nothing spectacular about any of them. Matter of fact, that's the awesome thing about it. None of them really, you know, stood out in a crowd. If they did stand out in a crowd, it was because, they, you know, they were the weakest in the crowd or the scaredest in the crowd or uh, you know, we, we've seen that, you know, they're just ordinary people that God uses and he calls to do extraordinary things. A couple of weeks ago, we were introduced to the next unlikely judge uh, in this cast of characters that God calls out to help the Israelites, and his name was Gideon. And we're going to continue to look at him this morning. Uh, and as we do, as we continue looking at the story of Gideon this morning, it kind of reminds me of the fact that we live in a culture today, we, we kind of... Uh, you know, like the underdog in a in an underdog story. I mean, we always are are cheering for the underdog in the Olympics or maybe a sporting event. If you're an Arkansas Razorback fan, you're very familiar with this concept of cheering for the underdog. But I'm not just talking about teams that are sorry and are apparently never going to get better. But I'm talking about true enough underdogs. Uh, like Tennessee, for instance, who is, hey, folks, it could always be worse. We could always be Tennessee, okay? So just take a deep breath. It will get better, I assure you. 
But, but we like the underdog. And, uh, you know, we love the Cinder. We're drawn to the Cinderella story. Why do you think there were so many Rocky movies? All right? Because they knew we would buy tickets to go to the next one. Because we love underdogs. And as we look at this story of Gideon this morning, we might be tempted to look at it and think, uh, view this story as an underdog Cinderella story type, you know, event. But it is so much more than that. Uh, to us this morning. We learned a couple of weeks ago, Gideon's not your typical hero, right? He's, he's, a, he's a coward. He, you know, we, we first found him, you know, hiding in a hole uh, in a wine press, threshing wheat. You know, he's there because he's afraid, he's scared. But God, you know, does what God does. Don't miss this. He takes this coward, he takes this man who's afraid, this man filled with doubt, and he feels him with bravery. He, he turns him into a man of bravery, and he does that by assuring him, all right, don't miss this, the reason Gideon went from being scared to a little more brave is because God's assurance that he was with him, right? And when we understand that our Heavenly Father, the most all-powerful, mighty God, is with us, we will not be afraid, right? And so God, through a series of of events there assures Gideon that he is with him and he's going to help him and he's going to give him the victory. He's going to make him the great leader that God needs him to be at this time and in this moment, right? And, and so the most you know, important lesson that we learned uh, when we first looked at Gideon was this. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the, one that he, the ones that he calls. He doesn't call the bravest. He doesn't call the strongest. He doesn't call the mightiest, right? He makes those people that after they accept the call, okay? He, he gives them that. He makes those that he calls brave. He makes those that he calls powerful. He makes those that he calls useful in his, in his hands. And so at the end of chapter 6, God basically tells Gideon, you know, to come up with a plan of attack against this mighty enemy that they're, they're now under control of, the Midianites. If you haven't been here, uh, we talked about them a few weeks ago. But they're under the control of this mighty army. Uh, and, and that's where we're going to pick up the story today in chapter 7. Gideon's coming up with a plan. He received a sign from God that no doubt whatsoever that God was going to be with him, help him, and give him the victory over the enemy. And so we pick it up there. Gideon currently has, oh, by the way, over 30,000 uh, troops in his army. All right, so it's looking good. Gideon's feeling a little better about himself. He's got 32,000 men now that he's, he's about to go to battle with. And the Lord is on their side. So we pick it up there in verse 2 of chapter 7. The Lord said to Gideon, you've got 32,000. Too many. <laughs> right? All right, Gideon, I know, I know you're proud. You've got 32,000 people to follow you. You have too many men. And so I can't deliver Midian, I can't deliver this enemy into your hands, or you would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Right, and, and I just want to stop there for a second and, and let this soak in. You have too many men. I can't give you this victory because then you will think that if you win the victory that this is something that you have done. This is something that you have accomplished because you're so awesome and you have so many. Right, And so then he continues in verse 3. You've got too many, so now... 
announce to your army, anyone who's afraid, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave right now. Leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 left while 10,000 remained. So basically, God tells Gideon to say to this army of 32,000, any of you that are afraid, any of you that don't want to be a part of this, you know, you can go home now. And I just wonder if knowing Gideon's past, because we know Gideon was a coward, and we know Gideon was pretty terrified. I just wonder if this point in time, if Gideon's not going, can I go with him? <laughs> you know? And God's like, no, Gideon, you have to stay, all right? We, we have this agreement. And, and so I guess you could make the argument that 10,000 brave soldiers are better than 32,000 if two-thirds of those are, are scared to death. But this next part makes no sense whatsoever. Verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, still too many. Take them down to the water and separate them by those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. Out of 10,000. I'm just a little shocked that 300 of them drank like a dog, aren't you? I mean, I would have thought there might be one, huh? And, and, and so, but, but there's 300, because who does that? Anyway, verse 7, the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. 32,000 down to 300. 97% of the army is now gone. Right? So think about what God's doing here. God intentionally weakened Gideon's army. Right? And, and there's so much that you and I can, can learn from this today. And the first lesson is this. God uses the weak. Okay? God uses the weak. You know, because here's the deal. He wants us to trust Him, okay? He wants us to depend on Him. And so sometimes God reduces the size of our army so that we have no choice but to trust Him. Some of you have been there, right? Everything just rocking along. It's going good. You know, you begin to, you know, think you're handling life pretty well. You quit depending on God as much as you did. You stop praying as much. You stop reading your Bible as much. You start finding things that are more fun to do on Sunday and definitely on Wednesday. And then here you are. And then all of a sudden, the storm hits. Like what we've been talking about on Wednesday nights. Right? And sometimes God reduces the strength of your army so that you will have no choice but to trust Him. Now that's a sad state for us to be in. Oh, last case scenario, I'll trust God. But God knows you. He knows that's how you think. He knows that's how you'll be. And so sometimes He reduces the strength of our army so that we will have no choice but to turn to Him, lean into Him, and, and trust Him. And, and maybe today, you're here today, and that's where you're at. Maybe you walked in here today. 
And that's where you're at. You're in weakness. Maybe it's due to some health issue or maybe you've lost your job or, or, or maybe your marriage is falling apart. And I'm not saying, don't get me wrong here, I'm not saying that God is doing those things to you or causing those things to happen directly to you. But what I am saying is it's in those times of weakness when the army seems to be being reduced... It's in those times of weakness that God might be teaching you to lean into Him like you never have before. Maybe, just maybe. But, and so what we learn in God's Word, you know, and, and particularly in this passage today is this, and this sounds crazy in the world that we live in today, but folks, weakness is actually an advantage. Weakness is actually an advantage when it comes to the things of God. And you may like, you know, you may be uh, here this morning going, Steve, I don't see how weakness could ever be an advantage for anything in life because that's not what the world teaches, right? It's about the strong and the powerful that will survive, you know? The strongest, the most educated, the most wealthy, the most talented. Those are going to be the ones who are going to be victorious. Uh uh. In man's world, maybe, not in God's world. All right? It's weakness. And, and if, you know, whatever it is that you're going through, that weakness, that reduction of your army, whatever it may be, if it makes you lean into Jesus where the real power comes from in life, then let me tell you something, friends. That's an advantage on your part. Advantage you because you're weak, right? Advantage you because your army has been reduced if you lean into God. We sang about it earlier. He turns our weakness into power. Have you ever experienced that? Some of you have. You know exactly what it means. And sometimes you've got to be at the lowest of lows before you experience that in your lives. Your army has been reduced, right? It, it may be, you know, when your spouse left you that you then and only then realized and understood, you know what? I have a heavenly Father who will never leave me or forsake me. I have a heavenly Father who I can count on and will always be there. And it may have been because you were at your most alone time in life that God taught you that lesson, right? It, it may be, you know, that when you're without a job that you learn that your heavenly Father is, oh, by the way, also your heavenly supplier. And He blew your mind because you never lacked during that time when you were without a job or in that, that financial crisis, and maybe he had to get you there, allow you to be in that place so that you would lean into him and trust him and depend on him because, oh, by the way, you actually had nowhere else to turn, right? And don't miss this. Weakness forces us sometimes to lean into God. And sometimes it's only in those times that you can learn four words that I promise you will change your life forever. God is always faithful. You should have clapped. Hello? God is always faithful. Don't clap for me, but some of you have experienced that. And you should be a little more excited than you are this morning about what God has done in your life. I'm just telling you. We had church in early service. I don't know what y'all are going to do. But I'm about to sweat and preach. I hadn't even preached yet. I'm just getting started. Someone once said this, sometimes you will never know that he's all you need until he's all you've got. Amen. 
Paul said some of the craziest things in his writing. The Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians, he wrote this, and you just look at it and go, I, you know, I, I don't get it. I guess if I was an apostle, maybe I would get it. But it makes so much sense when you look at it in this light. He, he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he said, because I've experienced this, because I know what this is like to be weak and to be made strong through Christ, he says this, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. He said, I will boast even more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Right? And, and we look at that and go, who brags about their weakness? Right? Who, who brags about, you know, the, the, their bank account being in the negative? Who, who brags about, you know, they can't walk from here to the mailbox without, you know, falling and stumbling and running out of air? Who brags about that? Who brags about those things? Right? But it's in our weaknesses. Think about it. It's in your weaknesses where people can see the power of God. They can't see you because you're too weak. But they see what God is doing in you and through you. And guess what? They see Him in that because in our weaknesses, He gives us power, right? Because they know when they look at us, it's not them, obviously, that's able to do it. And so one of the most important spiritual truths that we can learn is this. Your strengths that you have that you're kind of proud that you have, that you kind of maybe boast about your strengths, your strengths are more dangerous to you than your weaknesses are. You hear that? Your strengths are more dangerous to you than your weaknesses are because your strengths keep you from depending on God, and that's a dangerous place to be. Your strengths keep you from depending on the power and the presence of God in your life. Think about it. To be saved, when you accepted Christ, for those of you here this morning that call yourself Christians, that made a profession of faith, given your life to Christ, I want you to think about what, what that meant, right? To be saved means that you came to a place in your life where you knew you could not save yourself, Right? I mean, didn't you get to that point? You got to a point to where you knew, I cannot save myself. And so you were helpless, and, and you were hopeless, and so you what were you doing? You were trusting God to do for you what you could not do for yourself, right? You were trusting Him to do for you what you could never do, and He saved you. He does it all. You did nothing. Huh? He does it all. And in order to be used by God, once we become a follower of Jesus, and we, try, we get to that point with Him, right, so that He can save us, in order to be used by God, we have to come to a point to realize how weak we are and how unqualified we are to be His ambassadors that He's called us to be. We're not qualified for that. Right? And so we, when we understand that, and so sometimes in order to get us to learn the lesson, in order to get us to lean into his power, he has to reduce the army. And maybe you're here today and you're experiencing an army reduction. 
Well, it might just be because he's about to do something amazing. And that brings us to the second lesson today. I told you earlier in this series that the theme of Judges actually teaches us about our need for a Savior. We see it time and time again. The Israelites constantly needed bailing out. They would constantly get themselves in a huge mess. They would cry out to God for help, and God would send them a Savior. God would send them help, a judge, a leader, whatever it may be. We've seen it all throughout this series of, of, uh, of Judges. And we learned that God sends salvation not through human power, but through the weakness of humble obedience. And I want you to just think about for a moment the stories that we've looked at up to this point. We have seen this time and time and time again. We, we first were introduced to this guy named Ehud. Ehud, the left-handed dude. Who uses a guy like that? Huh? I mean, he, he, was, he, was, he, he stood out in the crowd all right because he, he, was, he was different, right? He was really different. He was an outsider. But God used him in powerful ways. He used the talent that God had given him to be used in a special way. The, the next judge we saw, Deborah. A female judge? Are you kidding me? A leader of a nation? Deborah? unlikely choice to be the leader of the nation of Israel. And then we saw this lady named Jael, who really didn't know a whole lot about her other than the fact her and her husband evidently had a dispute in the neighborhood they lived in. They decided to move out of town. Oh, by the way, it just happened to be where God was bringing the leader of the, the army of the enemy out. He was running, and he went to their tent to get some rest, and Jael didn't have anything but a tent peg and a hammer and she nailed that sucker right to the ground god uses strangest folks in the strangest ways right and now gideon who y'all know his past and now god has reduced his army down to 300 people you know in a few chapters we're going to run into this fellow who some of you may have heard about before named samson who oh by the way fights all of his battles by himself, with no army. It's just him and God, right? And after the book of Judges, we're introduced to this, you know, wormy little guy that plays a harp and writes songs named David. What does he do? Well, he defeats the giant with a slingshot. Who'd have thunk? Do you see the pattern? Huh? Do you see the pattern here? God sends salvation not through human strength, not through human power, not through human might, but through the weakness of humble obedience. The least likely said, God, if you're with me, I'll, I'll do it. And that's all it took was this, yes, this, this humble obedience but all of this points us to something, and I mentioned this when we began the series. It, it points us to something even greater than what we see here. Because this is just a picture of what God did for you and what God did for me. God would send salvation to all of us, all of humanity, not through a king who would conquer all the world's enemies with some strong, mighty force and weapons of mass destruction, right? But by one who would come and lay down 
his life in service and humility and obedience. And his name is Jesus. Time and time again, we saw it throughout Jesus' life. Now I know we don't, we don't want to try to think about uh, Jesus as being weak, right? We, we, we don't want to think of him that way as Jesus being weak. But we see it all throughout the New Testament. When Jesus comes to this world in human form, he takes on the weakness, right? Uh, before his trial, we see him taking on this humbling role of a servant washing his disciples' feet. Now, we don't think much about that as we read through it, but to know that this was something that, that, that people didn't do ordinarily. Right? I mean, if you went to visit someone's house, you would have probably walked there with sandals. Right? So your feet would be dirty. And so when you would get to their house, they would send their servant or their slave to greet you. And the first thing they would do is wash your feet. Right? It was an act of servant. It, 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 was, it was humiliating to do that. Jesus did that. Right? Before he went to trial. During his trial. Think about it. He was mocked. He was spit upon. Did he fight back? He did, you know, it doesn't even, doesn't even look like he defends himself at all, right? And then a little later, we see him so weak that he can't even carry the cross. Somebody else had to carry the cross for him. And then he dies a criminal's death on a cross with his arms stretched out, nailed to this cross, which is the ultimate picture of defeat and weakness, right? And, and, but it was through that weakness that God brought a resurrection, right? It was through that weakness that God brings the power of the resurrection. Folks, this is how it happens in God's plan. This is how it happens uh, in the spiritual realm of things. We humbly obey, and God brings the power. We don't bring the power. We have no power. God brings the power when we simply obey what he's calling us to do and asking us to do. And, and it's the same for you, right? You humbly obey in your weakness. What does that look like? You keep sharing Christ with the one who doesn't seem to be getting it. Right? You keep sharing Christ. You keep inviting them to come with you to church. You keep patiently parenting that child that drives you absolutely crazy. You, know? you just keep doing it. You, you just keep doing you. Right? You refuse to give up praying for that son or that daughter or that brother or that sister or that friend or that loved one that hasn't accepted Christ. You just keep plugging away and you keep praying because it's in our weakness and in our humility and in our obedience that God will send a miracle, folks. It's then he does his work, right? Whew. Are you bringing me something to drink? You're making me nervous. Are you up here for a reason? Okay. <laughs> I haven't had an altar call yet. Is that why you're here? Because you can come if you like. All right. It's my son, for those of you visiting. <clears throat> but have you ever seen God do a miracle through human power? He didn't do it like that. Right? He did it through people 
who had faith, believing he was who he says he is. Believing that we are who he says we are. Right? And, and, and he does this work through us when we have faith in that and humble obedience. Well, back to our story. God's got, God's got Gideon's army down to a point where I know by now Gideon's about ready to run, right? I mean, he's got Gideon's army down to 300, the size evidently God thinks it needs to be. Uh, and for the sake of time, I'll just summarize what happens here. But God tells Gideon uh, during the night uh, to go down to the enemy camp, all right? And it's, it continues to be funny to me because... He, he knows, that if you read the story, he knows that Gideon is still scared, right? Gideon's like a lot of us. Uh, he's scared of his own shadow. And so he says, okay, Gideon, if you're scared, take someone with you, okay? Uh, and so Gideon does. He takes somebody with him, but God says, what, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the Midianite camp. Go to this massive enemy force that's camped out. What does he say? I want you to go down there and start fighting them one at a time. No, that's not what he says. He says, Gideon, I want you to go down there and listen. I want you to go down there and, and see if you can hear what they're saying. Right? And so they go down to where the Midianites are camped. And, and the Bible tells us that the enemy is as thick as locusts in the land. I mean, it's unbelievable how many of them there are. Matter of fact, Scripture also says their camels are so many that it would be like trying to count the sand at a beach. So many camels and people. So let's pick it up there in verse 13. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. Hmm. I had a dream last night. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. Verse 14, his friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. And again, this is just so funny to me. I mean, the picture of Gideon is not one of a spear or a hurricane or a razorback or even a mighty army, right? He's the Pillsbury Doughboy. Huh? You know, a tumbling loaf of bread. And God gives them the victory. And, and, and through that, you know, what team chooses that for their mascot? The Arkansas Rays, uh, Biscuits, you know? Which we could be the Arkansas Cupcakes right now, but it's going to change, folks. I promise you, it's going to change. But seriously, don't miss this, because... Gideon recognizes here that God is reassuring him once again of the victory. Verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel with great confidence at this point and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hand. So God does what God does in weakness in the army reduction. God does what he does. And, and he, he gives Gideon, he gives us the reassurance that we need to know he is with us and that is all we need. Right? He is with us. And because he is with us, folks, you are victorious. 
Gideon saw the victory before the battle ever happened, right? Some of us need today, today need to look at who God says we are and that, oh, by the way, the back of the book, it already says we win and we need to be celebrating that. We need to be walking in that victory and that boldness that God has given us through him. It's not through any victory that we're going to win. It, but it's the victory that he's going to give us. And so Gideon has that now. And look at how bold he is now. Boys, let's go. He's given us the victory. The enemy is going to be delivered into our hands. With this reminder, yes, we are weak. But with him, we are overcomers. We are victorious. And that brings us to our our last point this morning. At some point, folks, listen, you have to be willing to take a risk. You have to be willing to take a risk. Think about it. Gideon, scared of his own shadow, right? He slept with a nightlight on. When Lynette's not home, I do too, okay? So I can relate to Gideon, all right? He had so many doubts. He was so afraid. God is reassuring him. God is pushing him. God's opening doors. He's encouraging him. But don't miss this. In order for God to give him the victory, in order for God to give him the assurance that he needed, it required Gideon taking a step of faith. Did you catch that? It required something on Gideon's part, and it was overcoming that fear. He took somebody with him, but, you know, he's still afraid. It took a step of faith, right? First, it required him taking a risk. Remember, God told him to go down to the camp by this mighty army, a number of which couldn't be counted, this huge enemy, this huge army. And and, and God doesn't say just, you know, don't just get to where you can see them. But you get close enough to where you can overhear a conversation that's taking place in their tent. Folks, that's pretty close. That's pretty, pretty far into the enemy camp, into the you know, battleground there, if you will. But that's what God told him to do. Get close enough so that you can overhear a conversation. If I'm Gideon, I'd have been like, hey, God, can't you just get reassure me from a mile away? I've got binoculars, you know. Uh, can't we just do this from a distance? And listen, yes, God wants to give you assurance of the victory in your life this morning. He wants you to hear that, and He wants you to know that, and that victory is yours, but sometimes it requires you taking a step of faith on your own, and the victory will not be yours until you take that step. Don't miss that. Gideon had to take a risk. He had to take a step of faith. And here's what faith in God looks like. God reveals a little to you, and then you take a step, and then He reveals a little more. And then you take a step. Listen, the Bible says, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. How do you draw near to God? And so can I just tell you this morning, I love you. But if you're sitting here this morning waiting on God to give you the big picture and all the answers and answer all of your questions before you'll take your step, you're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. Take that first step, and I promise you, He will explain it to you as you go. 
I, I pray this all the time. I pray this in my life. I pray that I prayed this for many of you. I've prayed this. Many of you have heard me pray this. But Lynette and I have always, you know, we've learned. We're not real smart, but we can learn. And we've been learned that to pray that God would open doors where they need to be open and close them where they need to be closed. And can I just tell you, he has always faithfully answered that. He'll show you if you'll take a step. And so, hey, sometimes we've taken a step toward a door that looked open, took that step and got to it, and it was closed. Looked open from a distance, but the closer we got, it wasn't really. So then we knew to go a different direction or, or, or make some different decisions. But, but sometimes, you, no, all the time, you've got to take that step and then let him show you the rest. Right? Don't miss this. God develops and grows our faith in him by inviting us to be with him and take these steps of faith with him. Think about how birds teach their young ones to fly, right? What, what, is the, what does the mother bird do? You know, she starts pushing them, doesn't she? She pushes them out toward the edge. Can you imagine being the little bird <laughs> and your mama's trying to push you off a cliff? You know, and they're looking at each other. I told you she was crazy. I've known it all along, <laughs> you know. She's nuts. She's lost her mind. You know, she's about to kill us. But what does the mom know? Huh? The mom knows they're ready. Mom knows they're strong enough. Mom knows they can do this. Right? That's how God is with us. That's exactly how he does us sometimes. And that's how God is with Gideon. Through Gideon's weakness, through Gideon's fears, through Gideon's doubts. You know, God knows he's ready. He's ready. Because he's willing to take a step. And so God knows that he's ready for the next steps. But again, God does the unexpected. God hardly ever does things the way we think that he would do them. Uh, and I'm sure it was this way uh, with Gideon. But at this point, you're thinking that God is going to miraculously use these 300 soldiers to fight this mighty battle, to defeat this huge enemy, right? That evidently these 300 that were left were like ninja warriors and Navy SEALs. I mean, they were, they were the cream of the crop. And, you know, they had all these 007 gadgets. And they were just going to go in and take them out one at a time, you know. Yeah, but God doesn't do it anything like that. Matter of fact, he defeats the enemy, and the enemy flees and is defeated without even a sword being drawn by the Israelites. Right? It's another crazy story, but long story short, God uh, tells uh, Gideon to divide them into three groups. So now they've got three groups of 100. And then he gives each one a trumpet, a jar, and a torch. Right? No swords. No cannons, no weapons of mass destruction. And God used them with a trumpet, a torch, and a jar. He uses them and these things to defeat this mighty army without one single Israelite casualty. Without one single Israelite losing their life. And I encourage you to read the rest of the story. It's an awesome story as are all the ones uh, in the book of Judges. But here's what I want you to take home with you from this today. Often, it's in your weakness, all right? It's in your weakness where God can 
reorganize your life for the better. All right? Sometimes it's in that. Sometimes it takes us getting there. For God to reorganize and restructure our lives for the better in our lives. Why? Why does he do that? So that he could be seen. Not us. So that he can be seen. So that he will be glorified. And oh, by the way, after you've gone through this and God's done that work in and through you, you know what? You'll have a story to tell. You'll have an incredible story to tell. One of these days... Maybe Lena and I will get time someday. We just sit down and write a book. We have so many stories to tell how God's done this in our lives and in our family. But when God does something special like that in your life, you have a story to tell. So what is that? You have a testimony. Huh? You have a testimony of the power of God. You have the testimony of the faithfulness of God. You have a testimony of the goodness of God. And people look at that and they see what God did in your life and they know you and they go... Only God, only God could have worked that out. Only God could have resolved that issue. Only God could bring that healing. Only God could do that in and through their lives. And so the invitation to us today is this, it's to join him. Right? It's to join him. Gideon's whole life can be summarized by the fact that he was willing to be with God. He was willing to go where God is. Right, One scholar explained it like this. I love this. He says, it's better to be with God before the most impossible army all by yourself than to have a massive army on your side without God. Friends, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Right? This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Being a Christian is all about learning to say, you know what, I'll go any." Where with Jesus, and I wouldn't be anywhere without him. Huh? I will go anywhere with you, and I don't want to be anywhere without you in my life. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ and to be a follower of Jesus. So the question for every single one of us today is this. God, where do you want me? Because I want to be there with you. Right? God, where do you want me? Because that's where I want to be with you. I, I want to be with you, and all of God's greatest work in, in the past has been accomplished by weak men and weak women, because why? They were with God, right? They were where God was, and that's how God uses the weakest of men and women to do His work. And, and so God's work, you know, it always looks impossible. You know, anything that God's ever laid on my heart or asked me to do, looked absolutely impossible because it always does, right? But with him, it's possible. Can, can I, some of you are here this morning, and I know that's where some of you are at today, the impossible. It looks impossible. And you're weak and you're tired and you're afraid and you've got a lot of doubts but today God is saying you know what you're right this is impossible for you but all things are possible with him all things 
His word doesn't promise us that some things are possible. It says that all things are possible with him. And, and so this morning, I'd love to put a period right here at the end of Gideon's story and making the hero and all this, but unfortunately I can't because Gideon's story doesn't end well. At the end of Gideon's life, he gets proud. Uh, he gets boastful about who God's made him into and turned him into. And success goes to his head and he starts using his position of power for personal vendettas and other things. He goes on to make an idol, commemorating his victories and what he's accomplished. And actually the Israelites start worshiping that idol as well. And you'll have to come back next week for the rest of the story. I won't go there. But for now, I just want to say this. The greatest danger that you will ever face is when you get out of the posture of weakness. The greatest danger that you can face in your life is getting out of this posture of weakness and humility. Because when you get strong, when you become someone... Right, And you begin to think that you're, you're in something great. You know, and, and that you have all you need. Can I just tell you, that's when things begin to unravel. That's when things begin to, to fall apart. Don't ever get to the point where you were at when God found you. Right? And the grace that He showed you. Don't ever forget where you were when He pulled you up out of that hole. And the grace that He extended you when He came to you. And, and so the word of caution for us here today is this. After the greatest spiritual victories and the greatest work of God in our lives, we can slide back down into the hole that we came out of. Don't miss that. Christianity begins with salvation. Right? Christianity begins with, I'm not righteous enough and I'm not good enough to save myself. All right? And it continues that same way every day for the rest of your life. Understanding that we need God's help. We need God's power. We need God's presence every single moment of every single day. And when we forget that and we start living our life without that, it's a slippery slope back into the hole that you came out of. And, and this morning, as the Holy Spirit speaks, I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. And we're going to close with that song that Lindsay sang earlier uh, because it is so powerful. It is so powerful, the message of that song. But this morning, I want to ask you to bow your heads and, and close your eyes. And maybe you're here today and, and you find yourself in the moment of weakness. Maybe this morning you can relate to Gideon because your army has been reduced. And it looks hopeless. It looks impossible. But maybe this morning or maybe through the weakness, you're beginning to understand what it is that God's trying to teach you. What God's trying to show you. His promise to you is this, that He will be your security. That He will be your ever faithful companion when everyone else around you seems to be leaving. His promise is that He will be the lifter of your head. Or maybe you're here today and God's delivered you from that weakness in the past. 
And he's pulled you out of that hole before, but you've realized today that you've slipped back into independence from God. And this morning, God's speaking to you, and he's basically saying this, you need to wake up. You need to wake up where you're at this morning. Don't you wait on the next storm. Don't you wait on the next crisis uh, to come for you to realize that you need God every hour of every day. There's so much that can be used from this story, and I'm just going to have to trust the Holy Spirit this morning. But maybe you're here this morning and you've never begun a journey with Jesus. You never took that very first initial step of faith in a journey with Jesus. And you've never surrendered to the fact that you're hopeless without God. Folks, can I tell you this morning, there are two things that you can never overcome on your own. That's sin and death. You can't overcome the curse of sin. And you can't deliver yourself from the power of the grave. But Jesus did both of those things for you. He took care of the two very things that you could never do on your own. He died in your place. He suffered the curse uh, for your sin and overcame death in the power of the resurrection. But folks, you have to receive that. Confessing your weakness and acknowledging to Jesus what he did for you. And that you couldn't do it for yourself and receive that as a gift into your life. That's the first step. Can I ask you this morning, have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? If you haven't, would you like to? Because if you're here this morning, you'd like to do that today. Today's your day because I'm going to give you that opportunity. And all I'm going to ask you to do accept Jesus into your life this morning is right now just to lift your hand and hold it high. Is there anybody here that would like to receive Christ this morning? You've never done it before, but you want to. Just raise your hand and hold it high. God's speaking to you this morning about taking that first step. As we close with this song this morning, I'm going to open the altar. I don't know what it is that God's spoken to you or what the Holy Spirit's been saying to you today, but maybe you feel strongly that you need to come. Maybe in weakness. Maybe just humble obedience. Answering that next step that God's asking you to take. Maybe it's to come and to take a step toward God because you know you've been living for some time kind of independent from Him and you're comfortable with where you're at. I don't know what it is for you this morning, but I want to open this altar to you. As they sing this song, you come, you respond to God. You're not responding to me, but you're responding to God. You come and be obedient to what God's asking you to do this morning. And then we'll all close together at the end of the song with a word of prayer. Maybe you just need to stand and worship this morning. I don't know. Just let God speak to your heart this morning while we close.
God, we thank you so much today for your presence and the power that we have felt here. I thank you for reminding us that the victory is ours. Sometimes that's just what we need to make it another day, to make it through what we're going through. We can face tomorrow because we know that you're there and we know that the victory is before us. Thank you for that awesome reminder. Thank you for the promise of your presence, the promise of your help. I pray for those today that have walked through these doors weak, afraid, burdened, alone. You are exactly what they needed today. You're exactly what we all need today. Some of us walked in here and things were going really good and everything's just been rocking along but God you also reminded us today that's a dangerous place to be and God for the ones here today that have never taken that step of faith to accept you and receive you as savior of their life I pray that today would be a day that they would accept the gift it's a gift it's a free gift that you offer us to do something for us that we cannot do for ourselves, and that's overcome sin and overcome the grave. But you sent your Son to do both of those things for us, and all we have to do is take a step of faith, believing that you did, believing who you are, believing who you say that we are. God, and accept that gift, and to walk, begin a journey with you. And today, for those that are walking a path and not knowing the next step to take, God, I pray over them and in their lives an open door. Closed doors where you don't want them to go, but open doors that you want them to go through. And I pray today that with boldness that they're a child of God and they're walking with you and that you'll be with them and the victory is theirs, that they'll take a step toward that open door. And God, then you'll show them the rest. Thank you for a great day. Thank you for what you're doing here today. But God, most importantly, what you're going to do when we leave here today with what we've experienced today. As we step out these doors, we step into a world that needs to see you and know you and experience the love of God. They are only going to see that through the church. And so I pray that we would be great ambassadors. <laughs> the ambassadors that you've called us to be with your help as we go from this place. We love you so much. Thank you for showing us again how much you love us. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Don't forget, if you'd be interested in...